You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So I told you, I think it was three weeks ago now, that we were wrapping up this series on freedom. And that was true. Yeah, it's just a progressive wrap-up. I'm trying to think what Justin said last week. He texted me. He said, yeah, when when you said... When you said that that was the last one, I think this was three weeks ago, when you said that was the last one in the series, my bet was on two to three weeks, so he, he nailed it. Uh, so, so I want to, I, I'm going to say it again. I believe this is the last one in this series. Uh, but anyway, it really doesn't matter. Um, sometimes we just rename the series and keep going so, for American culture. Uh, So we've been looking at this idea, working with this particular truth for a few weeks now, and it comes out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, for you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. This is freedom from the law, freedom from sin. It It is having a free, open relationship with Jesus. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh or an opportunity or excuse for selfishness, but through love you should serve one another. For the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. So the main point there is use your freedom well. We all have a choice about how we use our freedom. Spiritual freedom, natural freedom, every kind of freedom. We have a choice. Freedom is not inherently selfish. It is only selfish when humans make it selfish. We all have a choice about what we do with any freedom. And with all freedom, there comes responsibility. And a part of that responsibility is to use that freedom well. We, and, and here we're instructed to use it to love and serve other people. We can use our freedom that way, or we can certainly use it selfishly. But we want to realize that we are responsible for how we use our freedom. And it specifically tells us here not to allow freedom to be an incentive to your flesh. And we talked for weeks, I'm going to read you just a little, but we talked for a couple of weeks Oh, okay, thank you. Let's see if we can fix that. We talked for a couple weeks about, we gave some good definitions of what the flesh is. Let's see if this comes up. Give it a minute. Okay, um, I told you, you just got to talk to it, you guys. Uh So I I just wanted to repeat this statement, which was part of uh, the definition about what the flesh is that we've read for a couple of weeks. And of course, you can go back and pick those up, uh, those teachings. But whenever the flesh is allowed to take a place of authority that it was never designed to hold, a place of ascendancy above the spirit man, that's that's the key there, it becomes a seat of carnal appetites, desires, passions, 
that rule against, that rebel against the rule of God. All right, so again, our flesh, it's that unrenewed part of us. It, we, it, uh, it's not just the word for body. It's not just the word for meat. It is a word that speaks of the physical part of man that carries its own set of desires and appetites and that kind of thing. And when the, when, when the flesh is not under the authority of the born-again spirit and through that under the authority of God, it tends to rebel against God's rule. The flesh hates to be ruled. The flesh wants to be in charge. It was never designed for it. We okay back there? Okay. So uh, we looked at that. And again, you can go back and pick up more on that if you like. And then uh, we, we looked at these verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. says, but I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then in that situation, you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. All right, so what this scripture tells us is that we are not designed or called, uh, it is not God's intention that we live a life of restraint, where our Christianity is lived out just trying to restrain the flesh, just trying to restrain uh, things that are against God. Just just living this, the harder I work, the more willpower I exert, I can restrain my flesh. That is not God's best. There is certainly a time for just restraining your flesh, but it is not God's best. It is not what Jesus died for. It is not his intention. The scripture here is telling us, focus your life on walking in the Holy Spirit. Focus your life. We gave some detailed ideas about that last week. Focus your life on getting to know the Lord, getting to hear his voice, being sensitive to his slightest nudges. Focus your your life on plunging into the word, spending time in the presence of God, being sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then you will simply not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You just won't. All right, because you will be walking in the spirit. We gave some detail about that last week. Um, We've said this a couple of times, this double-minded thing that we do, where we allow the, we allow this argument within ourselves. We allow this uprising of the flesh and its desires and its thoughts and what it wants to do along with what we're hearing from the Spirit of God. And we don't make a decision. We just, we just kind of sit there and go back and forth between the two. That's called double-mindedness. It will make you unstable in all of your ways, the Bible says. You will sit still. You will not move forward with God. You have to take authority over. You have to make a choice in that situation to plunge into what the Lord is saying. Let him be Lord in your life, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, okay? Uh, so... So we want to, what we want to understand, what I want to talk to you about today is you don't have to let, you don't have to struggle with this all of your life. In fact, this just comes up right now. So let me speak to it. I'm, I don't have time to do this well. Romans chapter seven, I think is a highly misunderstood chapter. Romans chapters 1 through 8 are just this incredible passage that the, this whole part of this letter, probably one of, one of the best considered by theologians, the book of Romans, is, is said, if you just had the book of Romans, you could get everything that you need. You could get every place you need to go. It's such an incredible book. Those first eight chapters go from 
uh, basically the fall of man and what sin does in, in us and in the earth. And they go through judgment. They talk about uh, they talk about sin, they talk about redemption, it, talk, it talks about faith, it goes, it goes on and on. All those chapters are phenomenal. Romans chapter 7, there's a portion where Paul goes back and describes what life is like before you're born again. And it's this struggle between the flesh and the spirit in us. I want to do this, but I can't. And I just can't perform it. And I, you know, I can't get done what I want to do. And he comes to the end of that chapter and he says, this, I'm, I'm paraphrasing totally here, comes to the end of that chapter and he says, this is just a hopeless situation. What a, what a sad condition I'm in. And then he goes into chapter eight and says, you know, basically, but God, right? But God, but the, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, whose minds, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing a bunch of verses here, whose minds begin to be renewed by the, by the Spirit of God working in them. They get rid of the carnal mind. They adopt the spiritual mind. They recognize that they're children of God. I mean, it goes on through that whole chapter. It's incredible. What I want to say about all of that is, a lot of people take Romans chapter 7 and that one little Paul talking about this, this tug of war, right, between the flesh and the spirit. They take that to be talking about this side of the cross, the born again, spirit-filled person. It's not about that. It is about life before. And it's very evident as you go. Remember, it's a letter. It didn't have chapters and verses. It's a letter. And when you go into chapter eight, all of that gets resolved for who we are as believers. So my point is, you do not have to live your whole life in this tug of war between your flesh and the spirit. You're born again. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the deal. And here's what I want to talk to you about for the rest of the time we have this morning. Go ahead and turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 11. It is grace that empowers you, not law. Law actually puts a draw on sin. Law comes along and sin takes advantage of it. You can read that in those chapters in Romans. Law's good, but sin takes advantage of there being a rule to get you to break it. Okay? But grace comes in. God's unmerited favor, and remember, that word means a flow not only of divine favor, but also of the, the very life and power of God to do and be what you could never be on your own. It's where we get the term gifts. When gifts flow, we do things that we, we couldn't do in our natural selves. All right, so it is grace that empowers us to overcome sin, not law. All right, so we, are, we live under grace. And we do not, as we learn about grace, as we give ourselves to grace, as we understand that grace tells us who we really are and what Christ has provided for us and, and who he is and, and where he's taking us, as all of that comes through unmerited favor, it brings a flow of divine life that sets us free, that gives us power to overcome sin. So did you find Titus? Yep. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 it says this, this is so important. It says, for the grace of God, man, I love this passage right here. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, it what? It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions 
and to live a self-controlled, upright, to live, sorry, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That means now, right? While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, notice this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, get this last phrase, eager to do what is good. Grace teaches us to say no to a bunch of things. It builds this other life into us so that we become people who are eager to do good, eager to walk with God. It's not a burden. It's not an obligation. It's not, there's not a noose around our necks. We're not being just led along. We are hungry for the things of God. Grace does that. We're hungry for him. We're hungry to be like him, to know him better, to see his life pouring out of us. We're hungry to go out and pray for the sick and see them recover. We're hungry to bring redemption to people, to bring the gospel to people. We're hungry for all of that. Why? Because of grace. I've heard for years there have been people, if you start teaching grace, you start teaching the unmerited favor of God, people say, oh, it's just giving people a license to sin. You teach them grace, you know, you teach them they're not under law, it just gives them a license to sin. Number one, people have been sinning without a license forever, okay? Number two, that's a lie. I don't know how else to say it. Look at these verses. Grace does not give us a license to sin. It's just like we talked about freedom. You can use your freedom really badly. That's on you, not on freedom, okay? You can use grace really badly. You can, you can, you know, well, if, if people understand grace and that's unmerited favor and it comes all by the sacrifice of Jesus, then, then they're just going to, you know, they're just going to go do whatever their flesh wants. Well, then they're not understanding grace. Because for most of us, when we hear what Jesus did for us and we get a heart revelation of what he did and how undeserving we were and are, it humbles us. It breaks our hearts. We want to love him. We want to know this one that is so gracious. We don't want to go out and just flagrantly, oh, cool, Jesus, now I'm going to go do whatever I want. That person is either doesn't know the Lord or has no, no real revelation of Jesus and what he's done in the grace of God. Does that make sense to you? So it says grace teaches us. That, the word there translated from the Greek as teaches us is the active training of a child. Okay, the active training of a child that is intended to develop moral and spiritual character and get this, and to shape conscious will. That's choices. Okay, the grace of God, it's, it's the, it teaches us, that means it actively trains us as if we were children growing up, and, and it's there to develop moral and spiritual character and to shape active will, conscious will. It's there to shape our will, and so shape our choices, and, and in so doing, shape our actions, all right? That's what grace does. It trains us up, okay? And, and so 
as we give ourselves to the grace of God, as we give ourselves to all this, it trains us in the truths that we've been talking about of sonship, who we are, who he is, what his intention was for us, that we are partners with him. We aren't just slaves to him. We are partners with him. It trains us up. Grace trains us in all of those incredible, what we call in him truths of the scripture. It reveals who God is. It reveals his heart. It reveals who we are. And again, even as I think about that, what comes on me is all I can do is say, thank you. I don't deserve any of that. And yet it's mine. And so I'm going to receive it. I'm not going to reject his gift in order to somehow think that's saying thank you. It's usually not, you know, a nice thing to to reject someone's gift. That's not how we usually say thank you. People who give you a gift usually want you to have it and enjoy it and use it. And they get pleasure out of seeing you use it. God's, you know, where do you think we got that? God's the same way. So he says, um, it says that, When we think about righteousness, just for example, righteousness, all right, is again that free access that we have to God. It's a position that we hold because of the blood of Jesus. We have this open access to the Lord. We have this acceptance with the Lord. That's the position that the Bible calls righteousness. As we have a revelation of that, as that gets down in our hearts, that we have this position, we all know we don't deserve it. We all know we can't earn it. We can't be good enough for it. He gave it to us. He bought it for us and gave it to us. When that goes off in our heart and we begin to live in that, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, that that living in that, not rejecting that, not trying to earn that, but receiving that truth by grace, it says leads to holiness. Righteousness, which is an attribute of grace, or it comes only by grace, leads to holiness. When you start to realize who you are and the position he's given you, you want to live closer to him. You want to reflect his nature. Is this making sense to you? So grace teaches us. It leads us in this. Law doesn't do that. Law does not have the power to do that. It only has the power to restrain the flesh temporarily. It does not have this power. Grace has this power. So if we want to live these spirit-led lives, we got to live in grace. We, we've got to abandon trying to live by law. It doesn't mean we're lawless. doesn't mean there aren't boundaries. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means we don't approach God on the basis of a set of rules and regulations. So grace teaches us. It trains us up, it says, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us. Grace teaches us to, that word no means to reject, to refuse, to decline, to deny, to renounce, I love this one, to disown without further speculation or consideration. I like that. So when something comes up out of my flesh or something comes from the world that wants to tempt me to go a different way, the grace of God teaches me to without further speculation or consideration. So I'm not going back into that, well, that sounds really good. And maybe I can kind of justify this behavior or justify this thing. Maybe it's even kind of spiritual. You know, maybe I get into that and I'd, you know, uh, you know, I used to be a, I used to be one of those uh, bar witnesser people. 
Not the good ones that are totally free and go to the bar and witness to people. That's cool. Now, I wasn't one of those. I was a drunk who liked to tell people about Jesus when I was drunk at the bar. Okay, so that was not, I, you know, I didn't win a single person during that period of my life. Not a single person came to Christ with that. Okay, and, and so that was, you know, but I could spiritualize that. Oh, I'm talking to these guys, you know. I just wanted to go to the bar and drink, you know. So, so without, when something comes up to draw us aside, and we, we know it's not from God, the Holy Spirit will tell you, you'll have a red flag on the inside. Without further speculation or consideration, I'm not going to have a conversation with it. I'm not going to try to justify this side. I'm not going to try to appease God. I'm not going to turn a deaf ear to him. I'm not going to let that thought continue to work in my mind without further speculation or consideration. I'm going to say no. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to refuse it. I'm going to decline it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to renounce it. I'm going to disown it. It is not mine. You don't belong in my life. That's an aggressive attitude that we need to have to things that are not godly. To It says, it says what? Ungodliness, which means all wickedness, I love this, that stems from a lack of reverence for God. So there are a lot of things that are out there, and they're not even, I mean, we wouldn't even look at them and go, well, that's sin. But they're things that lead Christians the wrong direction. If it's not drawing you closer to God, it's not coming from grace. If it's not drawing you into him, it's not coming from grace. There are loads of things. Look at the society we live in. There are loads of things out there that are considered just fine that they come out of an irreverence for God, a a lack of respect for the Lord. Look at, I'm going to bring this example up. I don't want to, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes. It's, it's just the way it is. It's something I notice. When I was young, look at all the activities that happen on Sunday mornings these days. I honestly, I feel for parents these days because you guys have got to make choices between everything for your kids is, oh, not everything, but a lot of things for your kids. They're on Sunday morning and your kids want to do them and they're not sinful. I'm not talking about going to the bar and witnessing there, okay? Uh, they're, they're not sinful. They're, they're even some of them are healthy. There's a huge race going on this morning, you know? We do these things on Sunday. We didn't used to do them on Sunday in this culture. In this, even when I, when I was a kid, everything, I mean, most of the stores were closed on Sunday, you know? That was reverence for God, even by people who didn't know God. It was just part of the culture. Now, and and. And Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, because most people had Bible study Wednesday night, those were set aside too. The school didn't plan things on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. I'm sure there were some things, but there wasn't much. It mostly, all the games happened on Saturdays and stuff. They got the kids back. It just was different. Those are things that have grown out of our society's lack of respect for God. And so we all have choices to make about that. And it's it's... It's difficult for Christians, but we have to, we have to make choices about those. So it's, it's all the things that stem from a lack of reverence for God. Grace will teach you to say no to those, to, to refuse those. All right, and then it says worldly passions. Those are things, 
you know, obviously that people who don't know God desire, they hold in high esteem, they're passionate about that kind of thing. And, and so those are there's all kinds of things that are acceptable. And of course, that just keeps growing into very sinful things that are acceptable now. But I mean, there are all kinds of things out there and grace will teach us, train us up to say, to say no to them, you know? And as far, and again, I'm not, I promise, you know, I'm not coming down on any of you. I'm, I'm really not. But you do have to recognize the world wants you and wants your kids on Sunday mornings. It does, you know? And, and it's, it's just the world, again, it's just, well, we don't care. We don't think anything's going on on Sunday mornings. You know, that's where the mindset is. Well, the devil definitely plays into that. I mean, he's getting a lot of mileage out of that. It's just the way it is, the culture in which we live. So, you know, if you're going to do it, you use it to the best that you possibly can to, to reach people for the Lord. But um, so I just wanted to give you uh, this verse real quickly. First um, Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 just want you to catch this attitude that Paul has today. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. This language in the Greek is so strong. And it says, run your race, your walk with God. Run that race in such a way that you can tackle and take possession okay, of what he has for you. So it's a, again, it is an aggressive attitude. If we are, um, if we're just passive believers, we're, number one, we're going to be ineffective. Number two, we're never going to be able to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. If we just go at this passively and we're just kind of, we are going to get flushed downstream because the stream's getting bigger in the society in which we live. We are believing, as I say all that, I don't need to be, negative about it, we need revival. We absolutely need revival. I'm not talking about a little tent meeting. I'm talking about massive revelation of who God is. We need believers who are out there demonstrating the power and life of God that signs and wonders are following and it catches people. It's like, well, I can't deny that God just fixed my broken arm. You know, I can't. It it catches people. It's not just about that. But man, we need the power of God on our lives because this country (laughs) either need a revival or we're going to go the way of so many other nations and God will bring somebody else up. And, And But I know he has things he wants to do with us still. We actually live in really good times. We've got, you know, it's just... um, there's just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Talk about job security as believers right now. I mean, it's just all around us. Does that make sense? Okay, so Paul goes on. He says, now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. It means that athlete makes decisions about how they're going to live. They make decisions about what they're going to do, what they're going to take in and not, right? What you're going to take in, what you're not going to take in, 
what you're going to involve yourself in. You're going to prioritize your life. You're going to focus because if you don't, you'll just be another person out there running. He's saying, run your race so that you can take hold of the very best that God has for you. He says, they do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Therefore, I love this. I do not run uncertainly without a definite aim. All right, so he's not just out there just going along with whatever. He has got an aim in his Christian life. He has got a he has got an aim. I do not run uncertainly. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. He's just talking about focus here in his life. But like a boxer, I buffet my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it. All right. He says I buffet my body. Some translations say I beat my body. He's not talking about, you know, something weird. He's talking about, I do not let my body run the show. And just so you know, that word is buffet, not buffet. Okay. I too often buffet my body. Oh, this part isn't even up there, huh? Oh, well, you just got to listen. Oh, you've got the NIV. I've been reading to you from the Amplified. I'm not confused. You may be. But yeah, so he says, I beat my body. In a lot of the translations, it's the word buffet, which looks scarily similar to buffet. Anyway, I buffet my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it. All right. For fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not stand the test, be unapproved, rejected as a counterfeit. In other words, he's going to be focused in his life. All right, let's just go through the rest of this real quickly. So grace teaches us, he says, to live a self-controlled life. All right, that is not, that word uh, is not just the exercise of willpower. All right, it's not just us, again, living in, in restraint, all right, or emotional restraint. That word, which is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit's activity in us, it means a sober mind, a thought life or a way of thinking that is dominated by the Holy Spirit. That's what, it's ta- that's what self-control is. It's really the control of the Holy Spirit upon us. But we've made decisions. We've kept our focus. We've put ourselves in a place. Um, self-control, that kind of self-control, that disciplined mind is really the fruit of renewing your mind to the way that God thinks. As our minds are renewed to think like God thinks, they come under his control, all right? So grace teaches us to live that uh, type of life, all right? Um, I think I quoted this to you last week. I thought it was a great statement we heard Bill Johnson make recently. He said, a renewed mind is the manifestation of repentance, Okay, the manifestation of repentance. And the idea there is repentance means, that word means to change your mind. It means to turn your mind 180 degrees away from the way the world thinks or the way you've always thought to the way that God thinks. That's what repentance means. It doesn't mean crying. It doesn't mean just feeling sorry for what you did. All, all that can be a part of repentance. But it's changing our thinking, which in turn changes our behavior. All right? So 
so the idea is this this idea of a renewed mind. It it means we're we're repenting of things. When we find out we're thinking differently than God, we repent of that. We say, Lord, I'm gonna change my mind, show me what your word says. Holy Spirit, speak it to me. Thump my spirit with it again and again and again. Just impart this truth to me so that pretty soon we're, we're, we're seeing things completely differently. That's a renewed mind. You know, again, another Bill Johnson quote. He says, he says, when the impossible, we know our mind is renewed when the impossible looks just totally logical. When something that's absolutely impossible, now it just looks like, well, yeah, of course. That's the way it is. God can do that, whatever it might be. That's a renewed mind, all right? So grace teaches us self-control, teaches us to live an upright life, which again, is it speaks of righteousness. It's a life that's in line uh, with who God is. It grows out a close relationship with God. Teaches us to live a godly life, all right? That's, uh, that's just the fruit of genuine reverence for God. We just looked at ungodliness. This is, this is godliness. It's just that life that grows out of reverence for God. It just begins with that reverence, okay? So the bottom line here, and we've touched on this many times throughout this series, is number one, contrary to popular belief, it is possible for us to not live by our feelings, not live by our emotions, uh, to to not uh, for our, our actions, our, our, for our desires to be transformed. We don't have to just live by our feelings. We can be changed. We can grow. Our feelings will follow our choices. Our feelings will follow the repentance. Our feeling will follow the choices that we make. No matter how strong your feelings or emotions are that are trying to lead you away from God in some way, you are not what you feel. You and I are who God says we are. We are what Christ purchased for us. All right? So again, if a thought or a desire or an influence is not leading you away from sin, and toward God, if it's not empowering you to take authority over your flesh, to buffet your body, to to have that kind of focus we just talked about, then it isn't grace. And many times what it is, we can have something, feel something really strong, okay? But if it's not leading us away from sin and toward godliness, it's not grace. It's usually our own rebellious nature. And I, I have friends that have gone a direction with their theology that says grace means there's no sin. Jesus died for me. It doesn't matter what I do. I can live any way I want. And they continually, and I feel horrible for these people. They're young people. I knew when they were little kids, they... They post pictures of their sin I mean, it's, uh, on Facebook. I mean, they're proud of it. They're proud because they think that's freedom. They think it's freedom to go, to go out and get blasted on Friday night and just do all the worldly stuff. That's freedom, you know? And, and they base that on a false theology that says, since Jesus died, everybody's going to heaven, nothing matters. Uh, that universalist I- ideology, they've picked that up. And now... As they're getting into their, I suppose, 30s, 
maybe 40s, 40s probably. Now, the fruit of that is starting to come out in their lives. And there's a lot of destruction going on in their lives and their relationships and their bodies. And it's the fruit of that. And it's very, very, very sad. Grace doesn't teach us that. That's not grace. That's not the direction grace teaches us. So, final statement here. This is, these are, here are two very different statements. Okay? One is, God loves you even when you sin. God is on your side even when you sin. That's absolutely true. The other one is, I'm going to sin and God will love me anyway. All right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go do what I want to do and God will love me anyway. Well, he will, but you will never bear the fruit that he has for you and that he died for you to bear. The, the one is just recognizing that, you know what? God loves me. Even when I sin, the devil doesn't win. He doesn't have the right to try and take me somewhere. I'm not going. He doesn't have the right to condemn me and speak into my life because God still loves me and is still on my side and the blood of Christ is still for me, even when I blow it, because we all do, okay? The other one is, well, because of what Jesus did, I'm just going to go do whatever I want and God will be okay with it. That's a lie and that will take you down a path to destruction. It's just a lie. Feels good to the flesh. The flesh loves it. Feels good to the flesh. You know, and it's because when we sin, the ground doesn't open up and swallow us. We don't get struck by lightning. You know, uh, we don't suddenly become leprous. You know, those things do not take place. And we know that what Jesus did was magnificent. So people can turn that into a license to sin. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's not grace. Sin teaches us to say no to ungodliness, all right, and worldly passions. Does that make sense to you? Okay. As far as I know, we're done with this series for now. Okay, let's stand up and pray. You guys are really quiet. I guess you're always quiet. I just don't notice because I'm teaching. Other people that need a lot of feedback come in and speak to us in there. Yeah, not you, Gary. It's good. Yeah, it's it's awesome that you're... (laughs) Let's pray. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Father God, Lord, as as we stand here before you today, Father, I believe every one of us in this place today, Lord. Father, we want the life that you have for us. Absolutely. It's why we're here. We, We want to, as I said earlier, we want to know you better, number one. Number two, in that we want to be equipped for the ministry you've given to every one of us in the world. Lord, we have people around us that we love dearly who don't know you yet. And Father, we want to be able to carry your life and your power to them. We want to have, we do want our lives to be a testimony, not so people would look at us, but so they'd look at you, so they would see you and know you. And Father, we know that a huge part of this is the freedom, the free access that we have to you and and that we don't have to live under law and that we do get to live under grace. What a powerful deal. We have, Lord, we have this covenant that, that your word says is better and based on better promises, Father. And so, Lord, we embrace all of that this morning. But Father, wherever, if there's a place where our hearts have 
wavered off of that. Or, or Lord, uh, for any of us or all of us, Father, that are um, still struggling under some certain sin issue or, or with a, you know, with a relationship that tends to pull us off course or whatever it is, Lord, we commit all that to you. And we know, Lord, that because of grace, you are calling us. You are still delivering us. You are leading us into greater and greater and greater holiness. And Lord, I'm praying, Father, for all of us and everybody in the sound of my voice, Lord, that they'd be empowered today by the grace of God to live that self-controlled godly life, Lord. They would, be, they would be empowered, Lord, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. They'd find power in their lives to take that next step, that next breakthrough to overcome that next, whether it's a sin, a weight, a hindrance, whatever it might be, to overcome that, to knock that wall down, to knock that barrier down and go into the next stage that you have for them. Father, we thank you. We believe the life you've called us to is from one degree of glory to another. We believe the life you've called us to is to be fruitful and to bear fruit that remains. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to all of that. We ask you to use us this very week, Lord, this very day, to minister your grace and your life to people. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Did you get anything out of that? Two did. That's awesome. That's a good percentage. Okay. Well, we will be dismissed. We'll say uh, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world on the count of three. There's some snacks out there for us. Hope you'll stay around. Fellowship, build some strong relationships that encourage you and uh, have a great weekend. Be safe and uh, we'll see you back here. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.